Good morning. You notice a little bit different order today, um, and that's on purpose. We're going to be talking about the symbol of fellowship today as we're talking about fellowship, right? We've been doing that for several weeks, and we're going to continue to do that. Um, and we're going to work our way into First John as we study through fellowship and all the implications regarding fellowship this year. And today, we're going to be talking about the symbol of fellowship, which is the Lord's Supper. So if you would, uh, right now, just uh, pray with me. And, uh, and as you're so compelled, just reach your hands out toward the Lord and, and show of dependence on Him. And uh, let's pray and ask the Lord uh, to, to send us the Helper. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, the one who holds us in His hand and loses none of what You have given Him, but dies for them in their place for their sin and rises to secure their salvation. We pray now that Holy Spirit who testifies to Him, who witnesses to Him, who reminds us of truth, who counsels us and who leads us. Now, you will lead us to see the riches of the fellowship that we have as we come to this glorious, glorious symbol of our fellowship in the new covenant. Help us now, we pray. Build us in your unity. Guard us from the evil one, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 23. I'm going to read through verse 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death. Until he comes. When it comes to the Lord's Supper, ignorance is never appropriate. To ignore it and to just not know is never appropriate. However, swing the pendulum to the other side, educated conjectures are also equally inappropriate. Now, being the person that I am with the genetic problems that I possess and the place that I went to school, the Lord is gracious to rescue me and put His Spirit in me and cause a broken vessel that can hold no water to be able to wrap His broken mind around some things. And, and so I love education. I'm an educator. God called me to educate and to teach, and I love it. It brings me to life. 
And I have a great desire to go beyond the degree that I possess at some point in time. If the Lord would allow me, a Ph.D. would be awesome. So don't hear me slamming education, okay? Ignorance is never appropriate. Educated conjectures are also equally inappropriate. And we come to the Lord's Supper, both extremes have a tendency to grab attention. Either just don't know and just don't pay attention and don't do it, or there are places where it becomes conjecture on what are the elements and, and Jesus becomes the elements and all that stuff. And, and let me just say this, and I've got multiple points we're going to work through this morning, and we're going to work into taking the Lord's Supper together, okay? As the symbol of our fellowship, all right? There is point number one, nothing confusing in the gospel accounts and Paul's writings, particularly 1 Corinthians 11, the passage we just read. There's nothing confusing there, okay? I want to be clear, and I've given them to you in your notes. Matthew 26, 26 to 28, Mark 14, 22 to 24, Luke 22, 19 to 20, and then 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 26. There's nothing confusing there, Okay? Jesus, the Spirit, did not inspire Scripture so as to confuse us and leave us wondering. That's not the point, okay? Where the confusion comes is when you start reading men and men's conjecturing on what Jesus said. And then, be very honest with you, that's the point at which my dyslexia kicks in, I tune out, and I'm gone, okay? There's nothing confusing about the Lord's table, when I read the accounts of Jesus' institution of the Lord's Supper and Paul's instruction to the Corinthians, which, by the way, he's not encouraging them. He's rebuking their abuse of the Lord's Supper and everything else they've done poorly. And he's correcting them and giving them guidance. There's nothing remotely confusing about the Lord's table. Point number two. The Lord's Supper is instituted... From the Passover meal. Jesus, interesting too, I think, like particularly in my context and looking back and reading some of these passages, I think they're, they're quite humorous. They're probably not to you, but just to corrupt your mind with my humor for a moment, follow me, okay? Jesus, in, in, in these passages, a couple of these passages, tells two disciples to go into town in order to prepare the Passover so that they can come and eat it together. Now, if you've read these passages, Jesus tells two of them to go into town and find this guy carrying a water jar. Follow him. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Follow him. And when he enters the residence, go in after him. Now, A, number one, if you're walking down Broad Street and two cats in long flowing robes are following you, I don't know about you, but that's going to make me a little nervous. They're trailing me. And I go in and I duck out of the way to where I'm at and they follow me and I think that's funny. You may not think that's funny, but this dude's just, he's just minding his business. Walks into the room and these two, and what if one of them was Simon the Zealot, by the way? I mean, that, that's the equivalent of walking down Broad Street and some militia guy, you know, has got his gun ready and you think, what, dude, what is the problem? He's following me. So Jesus sends them, that's, I'm sorry, I think that's absolutely hilarious. And so they, they, they're walking into town. They're following the guy with the water jar. They go in and they're going to prepare the Passover meal. And so they go to get equipped to eat this Passover. And Jesus tells them, I have longed to eat this Passover with you before I die, before I suffer. And so the Lord's Supper is instituted from the Passover meal. 
And as we observe the flow of the feast in the Old Testament, particularly Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits, which all happen within the span of eight days, we're able to see this beautiful and complete picture of what Jesus did for us. Which, by the way, we're going to be doing the Passover on Saturday night coming up, April the 6th. You can get your tickets back there. We're going to have a certain amount of room because it's just kind of the way it is now. Get them because we do this long meal that Jesus ate with his disciples when he instituted the Lord's Supper from the context of this meal. And we're going to do all this, okay? We're going to see this in its, in its beauty together. So these, these feasts and the flow of the feast show us this beautiful picture of what Jesus did for us. He came, number one, as our Passover lamb. And sacrifice for the sin of the world. He broke the cycle of sin that was inherent in Adam and all his descendants, thereby giving freedom from sin and giving new life for all who believe and repent. And then he becomes our unleavened bread of life. What did Jesus say in John? I am that bread. I am the bread of life. Right? And then finally, when he's raised from the dead, Paul affirms in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, he became the first fruits from among the dead. So Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the bread of life and he is the first fruits. And from this meal of Passover, Jesus takes the bread and the cup and he says, do this to remember what I'm about to do for you. Beautiful in the Passover meal. Beautiful in the Passover meal. Number three, the elements have been taken from the already instituted Passover meal. We got that. And they're obviously intended to remind them of God's plan of salvation in the punishing of His Son in His Son's death so that He might save fallen mankind from the rebellion. As the Lord had a lamb prepared to be slaughtered to rescue His people from Egyptian slavery, these elements have been taken from this Passover meal to remind us of God's saving plan to punish the perfect Lamb of God in the place of rebels and rescue them from the rebellion. As they were rescued from Egypt by the perfect sacrifice that the Lord required, likewise He sends the Son to be our perfect sacrifice and rescue us from the rebellion. And these elements have been taken from that for that purpose. Number four, Jesus' death... And his spilled blood, like that of the Passover meal, the Passover lamb. It, let, me, let me go back and say that again because I totally looked up and I wrote this specifically on purpose to state it a certain way. And I don't want to mess it up. Jesus' death and spilled blood, like that of the Passover lamb for entry into covenant relationship with God in the Exodus. He instituted the new covenant. Consequently, the Lord's Supper, along with baptism, is the symbol of the new covenant. So as the Passover was symbolic of the covenant God was making of, between Him and the people in the Exodus, Jesus' spilled blood now in this supper becomes the symbol of this new covenant, and we're going to look at in just a minute, that He makes with man and all those who repent and believe. Number four, the Lord's Supper, therefore is a means of grace. We say this in our statement of belief. It's on the website. And we talk about it in our, in our membership class. Meaning God uses means. God uses methods, right? Sometimes God uses the methodology of a spoken word to someone to encourage them. And that's God's kindness. Where grace means the kindness of God to undeserving people, right? You get that. So God shows kindness to undeserving people sometimes by a spoken word of encouragement that's timely, right? 
That's a means, right? That's a method. Sometimes God encourages His people um, um, just by sheer joy. You don't know where the joy came from, but He just kind of gives us joy. And that joy is a means of kindness to us, right? The Lord gives us this supper as a means of grace, as a method of showing His kindness to us. To remind us that as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, He reminds us of His pursuit of lost man and the price He paid to save us. When we eat the bread and we take the cup, we're reminded of the heavy, heavy cost to bring us near so that we don't take for granted the death of Christ and the work that was done to redeem us back to the Father. A glorious means of grace. When we eat the bread and we drink the cup, we're reminded that God has been kind to me. Listen, if you wondered, if your week has blown up and you wonder if God loves you and cares for you, when you come and take the cup and you take the bread, you be reminded He took your stripes for you. He spilled His blood for you so that you wouldn't have to take the beating and spill your blood. Oh, He loves us. Oh, how He loves us. He come and died in our place for our sin. And it's a reminder of God's love for you. Sometimes weeks just blow up, right? This week, I'm not even lying. My dog got hit. I'm not lying. My dog got hit. And so I've got a wounded dog. Thank God my dog's alive. My dog loves me the way people don't. And so I love that dog. And I'm going to find the guy that hit my dog. And I'm not sure what I'm going to do to the guy that hit my dog. I love my dog. My boys love That dog hugs me when I come home. I'm not even lying. So I hit my dog. I'm going to have to drop over $1,000 on another car repair because I can't buy a new one. That's stupid. don't have the money anyway. So I've got to go drop money on a car. So, I mean, sometimes weeks blow up and sometimes we need reminders that God hasn't forgotten. Am I the only person that's living life? Right? And we come, we take the bread and we take the cup. The Lord uses that to remind us, I took your beating for you. The price I demanded, I gladly paid. My blood was spilled so that you could come near and tell me all of your hurts this week. I know you love that dog. I know you love that dog, but you know what? I love you. As we take the bread and we take the cup, we're reminded in this beautiful means of grace that God paid a heavy price to bring us near and to love on us. Isn't that awesome? That you're loved like that? It's awesome. The Lord reminds us of His grace in that. Jesus says, this this bread is my body. As the unleavened bread in the Exodus was a reminder of the hasty nature in which the Lord was going to save them. He told them, don't put yeast in it, you don't have time for it to rise. When the Lord saves people, it's not like on a probationary plan. When Jesus saved you, He saved you completely and fully. When you repented and believed, His salvation of you was hasty, it was quick. He transformed you, put you from darkness into light. Isn't that awesome? That you're not waiting on this probationary period for God to confirm whether or not He loves you. This unleavened bread in the Exodus was a reminder of God's hasty salvation of His people. But also, the sinlessness of a set-apart life. 
So now in the context of this Lord's Supper, this Passover meal Jesus is eating with the twelve, he reinterprets the bread and the cup from the Passover to the new age of the new covenant. You're going to love, and you guys who've done the Passover with us, many of you guys haven't been here for a Passover, it's been a few years. But even the methodology of Jesus choosing the particular loaf of bread he broke is beautiful inside Trinitarian theology. It's beautiful. This broken and unleavened bread that Jesus takes and he uses to institute the Lord's Supper reminds us of what our rebellion did to the perfect, sinless Son of God. The curtain in the temple keeping God's people back from judgment due to their sin and His holiness was torn in two from top to bottom and access was now granted for all who believe. Jesus' body was broken and by His stripes we are healed, Isaiah will say in Isaiah 53. By the broken body of Jesus, all who believe are granted access to God. So we take the bread, we're reminded He was broken and the divide between God and man was taken down so I can come near. You're invited to come near. Then he says, the cup is the new covenant. This cup now represents Jesus' perfect blood that purchases our access into covenant community and the covenant community of the church. Interesting sort of side note here. The Father put a constant reminder of the penalty for sin and the law by demanding death for sin. The job of a Levite was a bloody job. Read Leviticus lately? I tell my Old Testament students this, and, and once you've gone through, I could, and there are some of them in here, I could say to you, all Scripture, boom, and they would pop out four points. One of them is prepares for Christ's person and work. These Old Testament laws were there as a preparation for the death of Christ to make sense for them. These Old Testament laws demanding death for sin was a constant bloody reminder of a couple of things. Number one, Father wants us to hate sin. Listen, I like to hunt. But I also know as I'm sitting in my stand about to pull the trigger, that it's not over. That's the beginning of a very bloody process. And, and anybody who hunts that tells you they love gutting their animal has a problem. That's not a pleasant job. I don't like blood. I like to hunt. It's kind of this thing here. I like to hunt... But I really don't like blood. I get very squeamish around blood. It's tough. My, my hunting boots still have blood on them from back in November. I don't like that. Oh. Father wants us to hate sin. And every time they sinned, they were required to bring a sacrifice and atone by blood. And a Levite either had to gut it or cut its throat and bleed it. And splashed the blood on the altar every single time. And it wasn't a once a day occurrence. It was a multiple times an hour occurrence. So that every time you cut an animal's throat or gutted it and splashed its blood against the altar, there was a reminder for hatred of sin. It's not supposed to be pleasant. It's supposed to be a reminder that God hates sin. He wants us to hate sin. 
And with this constant stream of bloody sacrifices offered by the priest, the people were constantly confronted with the continual nature of the seriousness of their sin and the radical nature of the Father's holiness. Every time they sinned, something had to die. And the Lord in His grace constructed this system to cause the people to look for a Savior whose sacrifice would be once for all complete and perfect and ended and fix it so that they wouldn't have to keep continually coming. All right. God, i got to take that animal again. Levi's, i got to cut its throat again. Oh, Lord, when will you come and do this finally forever? That's the point. The law was the teacher to lead us to Christ. Galatians 3.24 will say. So, Jesus takes from this Passover meal that reminded them of the bloody nature of sin and God's demand for holiness. To remind them as they long for the Lord to rescue them from Egypt, they would long to be rescued from their state of sin. And he reinterpreted that meal to remind his people of God's salvation for them And from their slavery to the rebellions. When you come and you eat the bread and you take the cup, you be reminded that you were radically enslaved to sin. And there's a bloody sacrifice required. And rather than God demanding goats and bulls, He sent His own Son to have His blood spilled for your sin and mine. So that we could be set free from sin and be brought into the righteousness of Christ. This cup is my blood in the new covenant. Point number six. Now there are some key phrases Jesus uses. He says, my blood of the covenant. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus says that in the context of this meal, that this cup is the symbol of the new covenant. I guess the question is, what is the new covenant? Right? Right? If, if, if the bread and the cup, the symbol of the new covenant, and we're to eat it to remember this new covenant, as often as we gather, as often as you do it, as often as you eat it, as often as you drink it, you proclaim His death till, till He comes. What is this new covenant? Jeremiah 31. This is point number 7. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. Now, let me give you one word to... To sum up the new covenant. You ready? Gospel. Okay? The new covenant is the good news. This glorious reality of God's pursuit of man. And his payment for their sin. And his welcoming them to himself. Through the work of Christ. That's the new covenant. And Jeremiah does... A phenomenal job of outlining the new covenant for us. Obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 to 34. Here is the Lord speaking to his people through Jeremiah the prophet. About the coming days of this new covenant. I always love how the Lord says behold. I know that's a good Bible word right? Behold. And it always sounds better if you use a British accent right? Behold. It's like more authoritative. It's Behold means to look. To look. And you ever notice when the Lord says to look, Jesus gives us something to look at? 
this isn't in my notes, but so the Lord gave us something to look at as a reminder. He gave us something tangible to see as a reminder of what he was going to do for us. So he says, behold, take a look at what I'm about to do. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Glory to God. Jesus says this meal is the symbol of this new covenant. Meaning his broken body, his spilled blood is the way into this covenant. What is this new covenant? Number one. Just summarizing Jeremiah. In the new covenant, God's laws are written on our hearts. There are two points buried in one. The first point is, in this new covenant, God puts His laws in our heart. Second point, and that one point is, God puts His laws in our hearts. Our hearts. Not my heart to tell you about it, but our collective, all of us together. This is why this is, this is why the Lord's Supper is a symbol of fellowship. We take this and we eat this together. We are making some declarations, which I'll, I'll mention here in a moment. But the laws of God are placed on our hearts collectively together, meaning obedience to the Lord becomes a delight. Rather than a duty alone. Duty becomes our delight in the new covenant. This is why when Jesus saves somebody. This, this process of cleaning up starts taking place. Where it's no longer, God, i got to obey the Lord. It's like, dang, I want to obey the Lord. I don't know why. That's amazing. I actually want to do that. It's, it's my obedience becomes a joy. It's not like, God, i got to go to church. It's like, I can't wait to go meet with God's people. When's Connect Group? It's tonight. Yeah! Woo! It's like the Falcons are on. Right? It's My duty is a delight. Why? Because inside that part of my being, my volition, my the very depth and center of my being now, there is... The law of God running me. The truth of God empowering me. And it's my joy to obey. It's my, this is why repentance 
Repentance is a dominant characteristic of the gospel. If Jesus has saved a person and put his spirit in them, they don't want to live in sin. You've got to run from the people of God or you've got to run to the people of God because I want to be right. It's my joy to know you. And it's all of our desires. Which is how we know when we need to help someone because their desires are waning. So we encourage one another every day as long as it's called the day so they might not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Stir up delight. Stir up delight. Our collective delight is to walk with the Father in obedience. Isn't that awesome? That we all collectively, all of us together, are called in the gospel to walk in obedience because all of us have the truths of God written on our hearts and it's our great delight to obey. Just say this, if there's no desire to obey the Lord in you, you need to be transformed by the gospel. Number two. Again, there are two points within this one point. In the new covenant, the Lord is our God and we are his people. In this glorious work of Christ on the cross in the place of sinners... God becomes ours and we become His. The Bible calls this adoption. In this new covenant reality, God comes to us and He, by the sacrifice of Christ and Spirit, adopts us into His family, puts His mark on us as His children, and He is our Father. We his kids. Isn't that amazing? This new covenant work is adoptive in nature in which we get brought into relationship with the God of the universe. And this new covenant relationship with God is initiated by God. It is established and kept by God alone. He is our Father. And we are his children. But notice it's not. He is my God. And I am his child. It is. He is our God. And we are his people. Now this is important. You may think it not very important. I think it's vital to recognize. That Jesus simply doesn't save individuals. He saves individuals. To make them part. Of the whole. Why is this vital? It's vital because of this. God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's one God, three distinct persons. And Father, Son, and Spirit never operate apart from one another. This is why when God saves someone, He brings them into fellowship with others. So that we, we belong to Him together. There's no such thing as rogue Christianity. 
I do my thing my way. I watch preaching on the Internet alone. I get fed. I read my Bible. I'm isolated from the body. That is not Christianity because the Son is not isolated from the Father. The Spirit isn't isolated from the Son. Father, Son, and Spirit. One God, three distinct distinct persons, one mission. And that is the foundation. We started when we talked about fellowship because fellowship is Trinitarian in nature. That is the very essence of what it means to belong to God. Is, is We are individuals, but we are individuals collectively linked to one another in Christ. So, He is our God. We are His people. Meaning, if someone comes to faith in Christ and we don't bring them into the body, we condemn them. God saves people to make part of the whole. So, here's a great deal. We all equally, collectively belong to the Father and He is equally, collectively our God. Which brings up a few more points in in just a minute and, um, and we'll get there. And I mentioned to kind of go there. Already. Point number three in this new covenant. In the new covenant, all of us know the Lord. All of us know the Lord. So in this new covenant, we get to know the Lord. But in this new covenant, all of us get to know the Lord. And this is where I was itching to go. There is equal access and priesthood for each one together as the people of God. So when you come and you eat the bread and you take the cup, what you're saying is we're all equally knowledgeable of the Lord. And we are. The priesthood of the believer is a vital purchase of the new covenant. We have equal access. We have equal priesthood. And each of us together are the people of God. I have no more access than you have. You have no more than I have. I can't minister to anyone better than you. You can't minister to anyone better than me. We're all equal before the Father. Spirit dwells in us. And we are ministers of the gospel to one another. It's glorious reality. There are no super saints, y'all. Isn't that good to know? That just because a guy may be better at talking in public than somebody else is doesn't make them more vital. This is a different function. We're all equally priests of God and gifted to serve the body because we're all ministers of the gospel to one another. That's empowering to you. You can minister to one another. You can speak God's word to each other. You can put your hands under each other and lift each other up because we're ministers of the gospel together and that's a new covenant purchase. Fourth and final thing Jeremiah says here about this new covenant. Is in the new covenant, our sin is forgiven, we're justified. Our sin is forgiven, and we are justified. All of us in this new covenant are forgiven and justified before God. Which is why none of us in this body and why the Bible teaches none of us can come and condemn one another for our sin and isolate ourselves from one another because of sin because we are equally made righteous before God and thereby we are to forgive the way Jesus forgave us. Your 
sin is forgiven and we're justified. Jesus says, if you don't forgive, there's no forgiveness for you. You can't come eat this bread and take this cup and live in bitterness and anger at other people. We, collectively, our sin is forgiven. And we've been atoned for by the precious blood of Christ. Isn't that good news? It's good news. So, if the supper is the new covenant in Jesus' blood, Jesus said it is, then it is, among other things, a declaration all of us make as often as we eat it. Does that make sense? Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. If this supper is the new covenant in Jesus' blood, if it is the symbol of and the reminder of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is a declaration all of us make as we eat it. So what are we declaring as a fellowship? What are we declaring Well, here's what we're declaring. We're declaring these truths. Number one, we're declaring that Father, Son, and Spirit's laws are written on our hearts in the fellowship. What we're declaring to one another is that God's purposes, His truths are my delight. They're my delight. Lord, I delight in Your law. Lord, I delight in Your purpose. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Secondly, we're declaring Father, Son, and Spirit is our God and we are His people in fellowship. We're one family in fellowship. We're declaring that. We're declaring we're family. And I love this familial image of the people of God. Jesus is teaching in the house and His family, blood family, comes to Him outside wanting to see Him because they think He's jacked up. And they're like, ah, Jesus looked, mm-hmm, he's crazy. And, and so they come and want to see him, come outside and have a conversation with us. And Jesus looks around the table and says, you are my mother and my brothers. You're my family. Which is why Jesus would say later, unless you leave father and mother, unless you're willing to love me more than them, you can't be my disciple. Why? Because we are now family. Family. My blood, who thinks I'm crazy, don't matter. My mission is not to obey them. (laughs) They're irrelevant to the equation. You are my family. Because the blood of Christ that justifies me has justified you and made us one family. We carry one name, Jesus. What's our family name? Jesus. It's not Jew, Gentile, slave, free. Number three, we're declaring that we are all priests of Father, Son, and Spirit in fellowship. Meaning, we are saying our job is to minister to one another. Take the supper, you're declaring that I'm a minister of the gospel to you. And I've been gifted to serve you. And so I'm not here to get something this morning. I'm here for you. What do you need from me today? Lord, how how am I to minister to them? Speak to me. Lead me. Who needs a word? Who needs an encouragement? Who needs an exhortation? Who... Who needs to be prayed for? 
Who needs physical help? Lord, I'm here for them. What do you want? Tuned in to the Lord saying, go minister. You come to this table, that's what you're saying. You're not coming to get a product. You didn't come to hear me preach this morning. You came to serve as the word is preached. Spirit moves and you serve one another because we're family. That's what you're declaring. That you're a priest and you're ready to serve the Lord and serve his people. Isn't that awesome? Maybe you don't think that's awesome. That fires me up. Really cool thing. We got nine guys learning to be pastors. Reading through a, a little book together that, God, I wish somebody had made me read in seminary. Awesome. One of the great realities is God in His wisdom has gifted many people for many tasks, not one person to do everything. It's such an error in our day as you look to one guy or two guys or whatever to do all the work when in fact He's got many gifted to do. So you came and when you eat this bread and take this cup, what you're saying is I'm a minister of a new covenant. And that covenant makes me a minister of the gospel. I didn't come to get, I came to give. Which is why in the Western church, the consumer mentality and appealing to the consumer is idolatrous. It's idolatrous. Because the assumption is I alone have something worthy to give you, so come and get it. Come and consume. Like it? Come get some more. It's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God said, we're family. I've been gifted to serve. So we come together. What do you need? How can I serve you? How can I lift the gospel up to you? What do you need to be reminded of today? Imagine every time you gathered in your connect groups or we gathered here on Sunday morning, you came on a mission to serve somebody. Wow. That's what we're declaring. That's what we're declaring. Not to get my spiritual fix, right? Maybe if I eat the bread and take the cup, Jesus will help me feel better right now. It's not its purpose. There's a declaration that I'm a minister of a new covenant. John's going to say, as we start studying through 1 John, we have all received that anointing. And no one needs to teach you, but you can teach others. Number four. Here's what we're declaring. Number four. We're declaring our sin is not counted against us in the fellowship. We're declaring our sin is not counted against us in the fellowship. We are declaring to one another that we are justified, set free from sin, and therefore we seek to encourage one another in forgiveness and love of their justification in being set free from sin. So if you come and take the bread and drink the cup, what you're saying is, you're free. You're free. You're free. You're free from me. I'm free from you. We together belong to Christ and we're free. We're free. That's unifying, by the way. That's unifying, by the way. So I'm about to invite you to the table. But before we do, Paul said in this Corinthians passage that he wanted them to examine themselves. He wanted them to examine themselves. Because the Corinthians weren't doing it right. Paul's not holding them up as a shining example of how to do anything. He is rebuking 
their sin, their lust, their consumerism, their desire for trumpeting their own deal and reminding them that love is the way because God, being rich in mercy, loved us and came to be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So he says, you likewise love like that. So before you come to the table, I want you to examine yourselves. I want to examine myself. We're going to examine ourselves based on these points of the new covenant. Is the truth of God your joy? I mean, really. Is the truth of God your joy? Is God's truth for your neighbor your joy? Is your desire to love your neighbor the way Jesus loves you your joy? If not, it's better to stay seated and not eat and drink condemnation on yourself. Or repent and come and eat and drink deeply. Number two, as far as it depends on you, are you worshiping as a family? Is there sin against anyone, an attitude or action? Number three, are you ministering to the family as though a priest, as you are, rather than consuming the family in search of a product? Fourth and finally, do you encourage one another to stay faithful and keep running in the grace of God as the voice of the gospel to one another? If you are, I want to invite you to the table. Because when we come, we are declaring we are in fellowship. Because His broken body, His spilled blood made us one in the new covenant. I invite you to come. If not, I invite you to spend some time talking with the Lord. Let the Spirit of God move in you to bring you to repentance. And then come to the table and eat and drink and declare that we are one family in the new covenant. Jesus said this. He said, they will know you are mine by your love for one another. When you come and you eat and you drink, we're saying we're in fellowship. I love you. You love me. We're fighting for each other. We've got each other's back. So here's what we're going to do. The band's going to come up and play. They're going to play quietly. And I'd like you to just spend some time meditating on this symbol of the new covenant, our fellowship to one another. And as your heart is prepared, as you are examining and you are ready, come to the table, take the bread, take the cup, and go back to your seat. And then we will eat and drink together. And then we will respond in worship together.